I want to invite you, if you're, you're staying in here this morning, to turn to Acts chapter 1 in your Bible. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. We're, we're going to be starting a new series today going through uh, the book of Acts. And we'll be here, I don't, I don't know, I don't have a plan for how many weeks we're going to go through the story of, of the church. Um, and, and there's a reason I want us to, to be here for a little while and to look at what is happening in the early church and, and what they're doing. And, and, and over the, the year and a half or, or a little bit more that I've been here, we've talked about several things that, that deal with who we are as a church and who we are trying to be and what we're trying to do. The first thing that we went through, we talked about um, some, some foundational elements and, and some things where we talked about building our new Bethel. And, and over the year and a half, and, and more really recently, we, I've, God has kind of revealed to me, showed me how these things line up together for a comprehensive vision of who God is calling us to be. And so those sermon series where we talked about the gospel, biblical authority and submission to God as foundational elements of who we need to be, and the things that we do being worship, discipleship, ministry, fellowship, having a commitment to Christian witness and evangelism and missions, those are what God has shown me should be our values as a church, the things that we hold to that, that guide what we do, the core principles that guide us as a church. And so if you think back to those sermons, and you're going to see these things around a little bit more often. Those would be our values. And it wasn't too long ago, I think it was really this year, sometimes time doesn't make sense in my brain, but I think it was this year we talked about know, grow, and go. And this is an idea of what our mission as a church is. What are we seeking to do? What are we seeking to do in our lives? And as a church, we're seeking to know God, grow in faith, and go make disciples. And so, we've got a, so we've got our values and we've got a, a mission. But what's the vision? What are we overall trying to do? What is the, the big picture thing we're looking at? The overall future looking big picture goal of the church. And that is building the kingdom of God. So our vision, this is really a vision series, just going through and seeing what happens as God builds his kingdom in the book of Acts and as he continues to do so today. And in my mind, when I think about this, you've all at some point, I'm sure, seen an image or a graphic that's going to relate to what I'm trying to convey to you. You especially saw it during COVID, where you'll see like a, 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 an inception point, right, where it started here and then it continues to spread and you see things happen. And that's a negative thing. But if you'll imagine that in, in Jerusalem, you see these believers that are about to look at gathering together, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, preparing to do what God is calling them to do. From this point, 120 believers, it is spread throughout the entire world. And there's actually a, a, a video that you can find on YouTube pretty easily, the spread of Christianity that shows the spread through the history of how it starts in Jerusalem and spreads out and goes a little bit into the western parts of Asia and goes into Europe and, and spreads across the world to where we are today. And so I want you in your mind to think about how is God using you to build the kingdom of God because this is still the command, this is still the goal of the church. If you were to think about your life and your home and your family, how are you making an impact that goes beyond your home? How are we making an impact as a church that goes beyond our walls into the community and the world around us? And so as we begin this journey and looking at this idea of building the kingdom of God, we're going to look in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and we'll start there. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions 
through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over the, a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know what times or periods the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they, had been, they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I pray that as we look at your word, as we look at what you're calling us to do in, a, in our lives and as a church, Lord, that you would just reveal how we should be obedient to you. You would reveal the purpose and your plan and your will to us of how we are called to participate in the work that you started in Jerusalem how you are calling us to participate in building the kingdom of God, how we are called to follow you, to be obedient to you, to be active in our faith and being your witnesses to the world. God, I pray that today as we look at your word, that this will be a, a time where we can see who you are and see how we are responding to you, whether what we are doing is obedient to you, whether what we are doing is in right proportion to what you've done for us. God I, call, God, I pray that you would call us into further obedience to you today. That we would leave this place, people on mission to build the kingdom of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so as we look at this idea, we're thinking about the book of Acts. And if you saw here, he talks about the first narrative. Acts is the second part to the book of Luke. Luke wrote... The, the gospel of Luke, the account of all that Jesus did during his life, and he says, hey, guess what? I'm going to tell you everything that happens afterward. And I'm thankful for that, that we get to see the acts of the apostles. We see the things they do. And right here, he's kind of picking up in the same place, uh, kind of overlapping Jesus' commission to them as he's sending them out. They're waiting, preparing for the Holy Spirit. And there's, there's a couple things we're going to see here, I think, that are very significant. And the first one is the most significant thing you can encounter and understand in your life. And that is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Verse 3, after he suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You know, throughout the world, there are many events, or especially in our nation, there are many events that you can think of that they kind of get called flashbulb memories is the title for them. 
A, a moment so significant that people can tell you where they were when it happened. Things like Pearl Harbor, the JFK assassination, the fall of the Berlin Wall, 9-11. And even in some ways, I think most recently, COVID-19 can be added to that list. And, you know, that was a kind of a slower burn, but I remember where I was the day that I heard that Kentucky had canceled the men's, the boys' basketball tournament. And in Kentucky, that's a big deal. So I knew this was pretty serious. These are moments in history that people remember. They have a major impact on the people that experience them. And also the world going forward is different because of them. None of us have ever experienced anything like what these disciples and followers of Jesus experienced. The one that they followed, that they learned from, that they loved, that they had been taught from, they watched be betrayed, taken, beaten, mocked, nailed to a cross. They saw Him dead and buried. And on the third day, He comes back to them, presents Himself alive by many convincing proofs. I want you to consider for a moment, there are people that claim that the, the resurrection is a hoax. That would claim that the disciples, in order to deceive the world, stole Jesus' body and said that he was raised from the dead. Now, if you've never seen it, there is a, a quite comical video uh, that the Babylon Bee has put out that kind of displays what this would look like if they were to do it. And it's Peter among all the disciples, and he says, hey, I've, you know, Jesus is dead, but I've got an idea. We're going to steal his body and tell everyone he raised from the dead. And, and so John's there. He's, okay, okay, I get it. I like it. Well, so, so what happens next? Then we'll all be brutally murdered. And he's like, okay, do we at least get fame and riches and all of that stuff first? No, you're going to be tortured, reviled, and hated for the rest of your life. And throughout this whole time, all the other disciples are kind of like, oh, that's a great idea. And it shows the absurdity of it. These disciples gained nothing by believing and preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And they lost everything. The, the, the funny part of that was John was the one that was asked. He's like, I, I would rather be deserted on, a, on an island than go along with this. And, and then it comes up, have I got good news for you? <laughs> These disciples believed without a doubt, that Jesus was alive. We've got some facts here. Jesus lived. He lived a life. He's historically lived a life. No one, no one really disputes that. He died under Pontius Pilate. And the third fact is that the tomb was empty. Because you know all they had to do to stop this? Produce his body. And they didn't. And they couldn't. And these people that, that claimed to see Jesus believe that Jesus is alive, and they preached it in the face of persecution and, the, and, and leading to their deaths. And Jesus is alive. I want you to imagine the impact this scenario has, because we talk about this, you've heard this, maybe from the time you were a child, that Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty, but I want you to grasp the gravity of this. We've all likely been to a funeral at some point in our life. I want you to imagine that a day or two, that on the third day following that funeral, the person who you saw dead comes to you and say, hey, i got to tell you some stuff. You're going to be listening. 
You're going to hear every word they say, and you're going to make a, some changes in your life because of that. You're going to believe it. It's going to shake your whole life up. And so what I want to challenge you with is that if you believe Jesus is alive, if you are a professing Christian this morning, you say, I know that I sin. I know Jesus came, died for my sin, and he was raised again. Your life should be radically different because of that, because he is no longer in the grave, but Jesus is alive. And he came to them and he spoke to them many things about the kingdom of God. Jesus is alive. I'm going to keep saying that because that is the foundational element of our faith. The Bible says that if if Christ isn't raised from the dead, we're to be pitied above all men. Jesus is alive and it changes everything. It's the thing that makes people walk away from the second time from their livelihood like Peter did. It's the thing that makes them be willing to go to death because they know that holds the keys to sin and death, that has conquered them, has victory over them. So anything they face, they know is worth it because of what they've seen and what they've heard, because Jesus is alive. And they remember his words and say, don't fear the one who can kill the, the body, but fear the one that can destroy both the soul. They know that there's someone higher than the authorities of man, and it is God. And they know they are serving and worshiping God because they believe and they know that Jesus is alive. And so he came to them, he appeared to them, he spoke to them in telling them about the kingdom of God. And he, Jesus commissioned the church. He commissioned the church. He gave them a, a, a job to do. And it's kind of funny the way that this happened. As Jesus commissioned the church, the first question they ask, like a lot of people do, is, is kind of what they think is going to happen, right? Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? Are you doing this thing we think you're going to do? And do you know what that makes me feel like? Like the, some of the words I heard on the way to camp. Are we there yet? Are, are you doing the thing that, that I, I want you to do? And so Jesus responds to them and says, it is, not for your, it is not for you to know times or periods the Father is set by his own authority. You know what that sounds like to me? Five more minutes. You ever get that answer? When we were going to Disney World as children, we'd be like, are we there yet? Hey, five more minutes. Doesn't matter if you're three hours away. Five more minutes. He asked again five minutes. It's truly it's been five, five more minutes. Then you catch on after like the tenth time that five more minutes doesn't really mean that. It's not for you to know. Don't worry about it. But instead, he gives them a job. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells them they're going to be his witnesses. You know, when I, when I read this, and growing up in the time I grew up, I, 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 I'll tell you my age, I missed the whole Michael Jordan era okay, of basketball. Got the, the most Michael Jordan experience I got was Space Jam You know, I was a little kid, right? But I did get to see kind of what followed Michael Jordan, and that's been LeBron James, even playing to this day. And Nike, who he's signed to, has a campaign for LeBron James, and it's called Witness. And at one point in Cleveland, when he, when he gets in there, they have their whole deal. They have a huge sign of him doing some, you know, dunking a basketball, and it just says, we are all witnesses. And their whole claim by this is that we're all seeing something amazing happening. We're seeing someone that's really good do some really crazy things. And they actually re-updated this campaign recently in perhaps the most blasphemous way I've ever seen. Because if you had any doubts, they are playing off the biblical idea of being witnesses. 
And when he passed and became the all-time leading scorer, they had the audio of a sermon playing, talking about all of the great things that he has done and, and how people can testify to the things they've seen and that, that no one can take away from the things that he's done and the things that he will continue to do. And that we are, can, can I get a witness this morning is what the audio says. And they're playing it over images of, my, of LeBron James playing basketball. Well, you can hear that this morning, and that can be like, wow, why would they do that? Why would people be so, so blatantly disrespecting God and, and what, what that, was, that, that audio was about? The reality is, is that a lot of times in the world, we operate in such a fashion. We can bear witness to the things we see in, in sports. I don't know if you saw it yesterday. Ellie De La Cruz stole second and home, or third and home in the same pitch. Crazy. One pitch, two bases. These things don't compare to the fact that Jesus is alive. The things that we constantly witness to and testify about, and, and when we go to work, we say, hey, did you see what happened in the game? Did you see what happened in this? Did you hear we had a baby? All of these things are great, and they're wonderful, and they're awesome, but they don't compare to what Jesus has done and continues to do. And so while the disciples are, are called and they, they see the risen Savior and he says, I, you're going to be my witnesses throughout the world. All of the thoughts of, did you see how many, fish, how many fish we caught? Did you see these things that I did? Did you hear how good my sermon was that day? Did you see all these people? It's about Jesus and serving him and building his kingdom, leading people to the knowledge of the truth. And so when something significant happens in your life, you're able to tell a story about it. You're able to recount what God has done. And so what Jesus is asking the disciples to do is to tell people about what they've experienced concerning him. To testify about what God has done. To, to teach the things that they heard him teach. To share about his death on the cross for the atonement of sins. To celebrate his resurrection from the dead and his victory over sin and death. So, so we, we look and we see Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is the same idea, this great commission as we know it. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the same thing. You're going to go be my witnesses. You're going to go tell them what I taught you. You're going to go make disciples, teach them to follow me, to believe in me because of everything you've seen and done. Because you saw me die and you've seen me raised again. Because I've been given all authority and God is going to set up an eternal kingdom and the way that people get in is they believe in what I've done. They believe in the gift of salvation I've made available to them by my work on the cross that is finished. Go tell people about it. Tell them what you've seen. Tell them what I have done. Tell them the good news that their sin can be forgiven. So here's what I want to ask you. What have you witnessed about Christ in your life? What have you witnessed in your life? What ways have you seen the reality of your sin? What ways have you seen the realities and believed that Jesus is alive and he said he is who he says he was that he is the son of god who died on the cross because of your sin and is raised again that jesus is alive 
How have you seen that in your life? What convinced you of that in your life? And how has your life looked different from the moment that became a reality to you? How has your whole life and world been shaken up because you know that Jesus is alive? And so because Jesus is alive, you can't live the same. How have you lived out the truth we see in Galatians 2.20 that, that I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. How can you just share that story? It's nothing crazy. It's, it's a witness. You're telling. You know what I've seen God do? He's done this, this, and this. I can't explain it other than God is good. And he's good to me, and He loves me, and He loves you, and He'll do even greater things than what He's done and what I've seen, and He'll do those in your life. It's not about memorizing the whole Bible. It's not about being a theological expert. It's about seeing and believing and testifying about what God has done for you. And so what is your testimony? We know what a testimony is. You see somebody do something bad, you're going to get called to court, and you better tell them what you saw. And so when we are testifying, we have a testimony of Jesus Christ. It is, God is good. Here's how I've seen it. Here's why you should believe it. This is all I've seen. This is, this is what I know because I've seen this happen in my life. You should have a testimony. And they may look different. Here's, here's the deal. I'll tell you, I got saved when I was like seven or eight. I don't remember the exact age, but I know and I remember placing my faith in Jesus, being convinced that I was a sinner and needed salvation. And I can look and see the evidence of God's goodness and working in my life since that day. And so what I would challenge you to do is, can you see that in your life? And the challenge that can be hard sometimes is, or is church just something you've done? Because if church is just something you've done, that's how you grew up. You grew up in church. I go to church. I know these things. That doesn't, that doesn't reflect the belief that Jesus is alive. That changes everything. And so I want to challenge you with that. Do you know him this morning? Do you believe in a risen Savior? And how has your life been impacted by that? Because this commandment, this commission that Jesus gave him to go be his witnesses, to go make disciples, I don't think stops with these 12. I think it is something that is passed down to every believer in every generation of believers. This is not something for people that are called to a certain thing. This is not people for people who are called a certain time. This is for all believers of all time to go and be his witnesses wherever they are. Now, it's different the ways they do it. It's different the ways that it exists. But if we're supposed to teach, him every, teach people everything that Jesus commanded, what's the last thing he commanded? Go make disciples. Be my witnesses. Tell what you've seen and heard. The good news. Where do we do this? Jerusalem, right where they are. Judea and Samaria, all the surrounding areas and to the ends of the earth, that this message is for all people of all times that Jesus Christ died so that sinners might be saved. You know, one of the, one of the cool things I saw as I was looking through uh, one of the passages, one of the letters of Paul, it talks about how this, is, this tr saying is trustworthy. You've probably heard this before. This saying is trustworthy that Jesus died for sinners of whom I'm the foremost. And he said that how his purpose of being in ministry is so that people could see that the worst sinner was made a saint and called into ministry. Because you think about that. Whose story do we tell when somebody says, oh, you don't know what I've done? Well, you know who wrote half the New Testament? 
a guy that was killing Christians. But he believed that Jesus is alive, and it changed everything. And so where we end this passage today is that the church prepared in prayer. The church prepared in prayer. They were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they see Jesus. He says, go be my witnesses. He's taken up into heaven. And you can almost imagine the scene. They're all just kind of standing there like, what do we do now? And some people appear and say, hey, the same one you've seen will come in the same way. He's coming again. And so they know what they have to do. He said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. But until that day, what do they do? They go and they pray. They're devoted continually, united in prayer awaiting the promise of God. And so it was not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, Dennis, while I was at camp, filled in, and and very fittingly, Dennis taught on prayer. He taught about how prayer changes our hearts. And likely that is what the disciples are praying and seeking. They're they're seeking that God would prepare them for what he's going to do in their life. Jesus already told them what's coming, that there's going to be suffering, there's going to be persecution. They said what you've seen, they've persecuted the teacher, they're going to persecute those who follow. They saw him die. They know that's what's coming. And so their prayer very likely is, God, prepare me, give me boldness, give me strength, help me to endure what you've called me to, help me to be faithful to you. And so prayer, I, I fully do believe, aligns us with God's will. And I also think that God calls us to and challenges us to pray in a way where we're asking for him to intervene in the world around us, in the lives of people around us. And and like like Dennis said, it doesn't always make sense about why God would call us to pray these things, but so often through history we see how God's people seek him in prayer and God acts in accordance to their prayers. And I think this is when God's will and people's pursuit of him line up. And so I think God absolutely I want you to boldly pray for the lost people in your life. To ask him to intervene, to, to open their eyes, to show them that Jesus is alive, to save them from their sin. And the beauty is, is that God hears those prayers and comes alongside us, and we see the beauty of what we pray for happen. There are time and time again in my life where, where you pray for things and you see things, and the most unlikely thing you thought would ever happen is the thing that happens. I can't express to you the awe-inspiring might of God that I felt that as I prepared to talk about, you know, we've seen this Who's Your One campaign that we had, and I'm preparing to preach that message, and my one from 13 years ago calls me out of the blue to tell me he's accepted Christ. The faithfulness to a prayer years down the road that God will do immeasurably more than all we ask of Him. And so what I would challenge us to do today, as we're heading into this time of invitation, is to invite us to consider what our place is in the kingdom of God. Because what I can promise you is that there are no bystanders. God does not call people to be, part- to be observers and, and, and partakers only in seeing what God is doing. He wants you to be obedient and active in the building of His kingdom. 
And so in what ways are you participating in being a witness to seeing God's kingdom expand in your life in the way you obey Him and in the way that you seek to expand the kingdom and build the kingdom of God in your life, in the world around you, to be His witnesses? And as you consider that, I I would challenge us to be just like the believers in Acts, that we would just seek Him united in prayer. That we wouldn't get ahead of God As we said, remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. We wouldn't get ahead of Him. We're not trying to go and make things happen in our own ability, but we're going to wait on His promises. Seek Him united in prayer. But when He shows up, when He shows us clearly what we're called to do, that we do it. And we do it faithfully without considering what it might cost us, without considering all of the ways that people might judge us and look differently at us. But we know that Jesus is alive, so nothing else matters. We simply have to be faithful. And so during this time of invitation, I would challenge you, what is your role in the kingdom of God? What has it been and what do you know it needs to be? Would you seek him in prayer with me this morning? Can we be a a group of believers united in prayer, seeking God to move among us in a powerful way? Being willing to be obedient to whatever it is he calls us to do. And so at this time, as, as Becky's coming, as we're going to have this time of invitation, my invitation to you is that the altar is open. You can pray where you're at. You can pray with your spouse. You can pray with the people beside you. But would, can we seek God together? And this morning, if you are, are realizing for the first time that you've never placed your faith in a risen Savior, that you've never understood at all that Jesus is alive, and because He's alive, that you can have life with Him because of what He's done for you, that you need to be forgiven for your sins, I would challenge you to respond today. If you have any other need of prayer or any decision to make of of following Him in obedience and baptism, of joining a church, whatever it might be, follow Him in obedience today. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank You for this day that you've given us. This time that we can gather together, that we can pray, that we can seek you. And God, I pray that as we see the example of these believers in the book of Acts, as they are seeing you raised from the dead, they believe in you and you've called them to this work. The same work you've called us to, they seek you in prayer, preparing for you to move among them. God, I pray that today you would move among us, that we would be willing to seek you in prayer, we'd be willing to seek whatever it is your will for our life is, and that we would be willing to do that even if it's hard, even if it costs us. And Father, I pray if someone has not known you for the first time, that today would be the day they would turn to you for salvation, to believe in you, to follow you. Because Jesus is alive, and because of that, we can have life. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.